This is episode number 17 of the Polyglot Developer Podcast, and I'm your host, Nick Raboy. Welcome back to the show. Over the past year, you've probably heard a lot about serverless and FaaS, otherwise known as functions as a service. We're going to take a deeper look at these technologies and see how we can apply them towards our own web applications. With me on the show today, I have Carlos Santana, and he works for IBM on the Cloud Functions team. The goal of this episode is to keep the technologies very generic in in regards to the cloud provider, but there will be a lot of emphasis on OpenWhisk, which is used on the IBM cloud. With that said, enjoy the show. Hey everyone, I'm with Carlos Santana, and we're here to talk about functions as a service and serverless uh, technology, more specifically with OpenWhisk, but a lot of other generic stuff as well. But before we get too involved with what all of this is, I want to give Carlos a chance to introduce himself. So how are you doing, Carlos? Hi, Nick. Uh, glad to be here. Um, so I, um, I work for IBM uh, full-time. Uh, my role is a, a senior staff uh, engineer, and I lead a, a product that we have in RBN Cloud uh, called IBM Cloud Functions. And this product is based on the uh, technology open source uh, Apache OpenWisp, which is... Um, uh, function has a service, uh, but in the IBM Cloud, we uh, it's serverless. So if you want to do serverless, that's that's what I do, and also lead the open source effort. So I do both both roles: the product for IBM and also the open source. So are you a developer, or more of an um, ops, like operations? Uh, the, the developer um, in IBM Cloud, uh, we have uh, squads. We have teams that do everything, so the development and the ops. Uh, but mostly my, my role is with developer, developer tools, uh, user experience, and also the, the community with the open source, bringing more people to contribute in the open source project in Apache Foundation. Awesome. And where are you located at right now, Carlos? Uh, right now, I'm in Raleigh. So I've been living here for the last, um, let's see, 16 years. Yeah, 16 years. And for those of us that aren't in the United States, that's in North Carolina, right? Yeah, <laughs> sorry. That's the I, actually that's the rally. So rally North Carolina and the East Coast. So, awesome. Yeah. yeah. No. No. That sounds great. So why don't we jump right into things? And maybe can you tell me a little bit about what serverless is? I know that it just came around uh, in the past few years, right? It's not even been around that long. The concept. Yeah. No, it's not been that long. Uh, I think in the recent years have become uh, spread around either companies trying to build it, companies trying to use it. Uh, developers that want to play with it. Um, so it's, it's recently uh, in, the, in the community as a technology uh, for backend services. Um, so we, we can talk a lot about um, the name. is something that we can spend a lot of time discussing serverless. Uh, the actual are servers. Um, people laugh. That's kind of a punt. Uh, but regardless, it's a, it's a real business um, to, to build backend services um, and build apps and build uh, applications. So you said that there are actually servers involved. Is there, um, why, why do they call it serverless exactly? Uh, so there's this, a distinction between functions as a service and also serverless. Functions, functions as a service is what um, 
the technology that you will have servers to install uh, the functions of the service platform. Uh, so you have to get servers. You, uh, you meaning if you're a person setting it up everything from scratch at your house with computers or servers or your company. The serverless part is the most uh, common one, which is developers um, using it. So developers that don't want to deal with servers, they don't want to deal with the infrastructure or operations. Um, also, developers slash companies that don't want to have a monthly recurring um, amount of money um, for, for servers that are running their code all the time and they're up all the time. So they don't have to deal with that. They can they can run those functions or that business logic on demand based on events. Um, so we call them functions or actions. So that, that's the distinction is as a developer for you, using it from a provider, like a cloud provider uh, that is offering this service is serverless. You don't deal with servers. That provider flipping it around deals with the servers for you. Um, so it takes it takes the function of the server technology and then offers the serverless um, service or platform um, to the developer to the company that want to use it. Just so I'm clear, so that way maybe we're so that way we're on the same page here. So serverless is more of a concept to developers and not necessarily the people who are are building the the infrastructure, right? Yeah, exactly. And then functions as a service gets installed and make this possible on uh, the yeah. infrastructure. Yeah, exactly. That's um, uh, my version. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> no, that, that's a fine version. Uh, I, um, I like and, it. And I, it's, it's easy to explain to folks. So um, that's why the serverless one is the one that you, you Google for stuff, Google for tutorials. It's the one that's going to, to show up. And also the different providers offering their, um, their, their serverless platform. They will have their own name, uh, usually it's Lambda or Functions. Uh, in IBM, we call it IBM Cloud Functions. So just simple, just functions. So when when these uh, when these functions are running, you said that it, it, you generally people use it to cut costs. Um, how exactly would that cut costs in comparison to say me running on a, a, v, a VPS or EC2 or something along those lines, just a standard server? Yeah. So um, in terms of maybe uh, keep it to the terms of maybe a, uh, the use case of a developer. Um, trying to set up something like a website or a backend, backend API for an IoT device like a Raspberry Pi. So that developer will go and set up a VM or EC2 or um, a, 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 a container running all the time. So you will pay monthly, um, I don't know, 20 bucks for $20. They say that you pay $20 to $10 a month every month. And it doesn't matter if the Raspberry Pi talks. Uh, 100, 100 API calls a month, or it calls 10. Uh, you still pay, pay the $10. In functions as a service, serverless, um, one, you don't have to go to a console to say, I want a VM of this size, uh, 20 gigs uh, or, or 2 gigs of memory. Uh, you, you configure a function, upload it to the cloud, and then if the function gets called 100 times, you pay 100 times very little money. If it gets called 10 times, then you pay less. So that's kind of the attractiveness to, to some folks where they have uh, different type of workloads. Uh, serverless, use, uh, sometimes it's a better fit than a constant um, server running all the time, uh, consuming resources, and you pay for those resources, regardless if you use it or, or never log in or never call that API. So I know that all billing is different, and you're most familiar with IBM's Bluemix. Um, but how exactly does billing work? 
when you're dealing with functions? You're saying that your build every time a function is called, is that the only basis or is there basis on, say, the payload of those functions or anything else that might um, affect cost? Um, at least in the, in the IBM functions, um, it's just the, the time spent uh, for the function. So it's, um, we keep it very simple. Two, uh, two factors or two variables is how long your function runs. Um, so if we run 100 milliseconds, sorry, 200 milliseconds, and then how big of a memory uh, do you reserve for that function? So if you reserve 100, 128 megs or you reserve uh, 512 of megs, then you pay you pay for the amount of gigabit seconds. So that's kind of the, the rate. Uh, and most that's that's the rate for all the platforms. They gigabit seconds that, that your functions run. Got it. And it's um, usually so most the platforms have the same pricing. So that's not one is cheaper or not. The, all of them most likely have the same price. And some of them ask uh, uh, IBM Cloud do, doesn't ask for that, but extra cost for the number of requests um, in total, but I mean, Cloud Functions is just gigabit seconds. And uh, most of them, the, the good thing is, since this is a new technology, hot, uh, it's easy to get started, it's free. So all of them have a free tier that you can do like millions of calls, usually 400,000 gigabit seconds. So you don't see a bill for a while, or maybe you have enough, you have a workload that never hits the first penny. <laughs> <laughs> or the first 10 cents, um, and you have, a, you have an app, or you have a demo uh, for demo purposes. Um, so that's kind of the, the pricing story there. Awesome. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Um, so let's, let's jump into like more of a technical aspect of things. So how exactly uh, does serverless work? What makes this possible? Yeah, so in, in, um, at the high level, there's a lot of um, open source technologies out there. So you, uh, if you look for it, you can actually see under the hood of how it gets implemented. In uh, Apache OpenWhisk, I can describe you at least one implementation, one instance, uh, which we use in IBM Cloud Functions, and it's based on containers. So you write a you write a, a function. So let's say you take uh, let's say take a JavaScript. So you write a, a small function that takes some input parameters. You connect to a third party API, or maybe you transform that that information from those parameters in that function, and then you return the result back. Um, and it's a little, it's, it's a small JavaScript file, .js or Swift or Java, and you upload that to, to the cloud provider or to the platform, to the system. And then when events, when events, when an event comes in, uh, because it's event-driven, there will be a, a controller. So that will be the server. It will be a server controlled by the platform that receives that API call or that event. And then it goes through a, uh, uh, a queuing process to queue it into one of the workers. Um, and then uh, the worker will pull out your, your small function and then uh, run, run that Docker container. So it's based on Docker container. It will run a Docker container for... The very fast, uh, sometimes it's warm, sometimes it's paused. So we're talking about single digit milliseconds. Um, insert your function in there, in the container, uh, if it's one of the languages that is supported out of the box, um, and then run it. And if it takes 100 milliseconds, it takes 50, 50 milliseconds, uh, your function will run and it's stateless and the results will come back um, and save in the system or just come back as a, if it's a blocking API. So it's, it's a, everything is an orchestration of 
uh, Docker container, so you get isolation and and you can get replication locally. You can run your function locally, and then and then it will work the same way on the cloud because is we're using containers, containerization. So does it just start a new Docker container and then shut it down when it's done? Is that how it works? Is it an on and off um, process? Uh, no and yes. So we have at least in OpenWiz, we have certain containers already running. So it would it would actually run as a server. Everything's live. So as the request comes in, there will be a container um, uh, ready to go that no one have uh, used. So it's always a pool of containers already running, and the function will run right away and then and then go out. If there's another like if you're hitting that API very hard. Uh, the next event or next request uh, probably will, will will hit that same container without being paused. But if there's a few milliseconds uh, window that is, um, then that container will be, will be paused. And then if like an hour later uh, or a few minutes later, it will, you call it again, then it will do a Docker on pause. And on pause is very fast. It's not like a Docker run. So we're talking about single digit uh, milliseconds. Um, if it's if it's a long time, we call it that a cold start. So if it's like you wait, I don't know, let's say ne- the next day you do another call, then uh, you will hit one of those uh, containers that are already prime, or just do a Docker run uh, very fast, and then run your 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 function and then stop. And if and then that's where you get concurrency. If you have uh, a thousand requests coming in at the same time, you have a thousand containers running at the same time and pause at the same time. So it's very very performant um, in terms of uh, the focus of the technology. And actually, that's the most time that we spent uh, the development and the, the research team looking into. So I, I might be a little confused, and I'm, maybe you can clear this up. So you just said that if you get a, a thousand API requests coming in, that'll create a thousand Docker containers. So it's, it's going to be one Docker container per request. Is that, is that correct? In theory, in practice, doesn't happen because all requests are not going to happen at the exact milliseconds. So sure. there might be some containers that get reused, um, and that's what you see in practice. You don't see them all, but to the end user, your clients, they will look like they're all executed at the same time. Sure. And then say uh, say your your Docker container is not currently up; it's not in the pause state. Um, what does the time frame look like when it when it comes to starting that container and issuing a response, what, what kind of delay are we talking about in terms of performance? Um, in terms of, of you, you will see the, the, the run in, in your, inside your function. We're talking about four milliseconds, um, single digit milliseconds, single, single digit. Yeah. Uh, that's the overhead of bringing up a, a container. Uh, it could be take 10 milliseconds. So we're, we're talking about less than 50 milliseconds, uh, for the overhead. And then it's your logic, right? So, uh, you you won't do echo. <laughs> That's usually the, the the test case that we use. It's like doing nothing, like returning back uh, what you send in. Uh, echo hello. Uh, but yeah, it's it's as, as performance as platform as a service that if you have a server up, so you do a ping and, and you get back uh, your result. Sure. Probably a hundred milliseconds, hundred two hundred milliseconds. It depends where you, your your client is located. Uh, you spend more time in the in the in the network pipeline. Uh, to get to your client than actually when it's inside the system. No, that, that sounds great. Um, so you mentioned a few technologies already. You mentioned OpenWhisk. You, you mentioned Lambda. I know that there's Azure Functions. Are, they, are there any other 
uh, serverless or functions as a service uh, type options that are are currently circulating, or are those like the the major ones? So the the there's the for the major ones are the major cloud providers. They will see there are a few other open source projects um, that are coming up. Uh, with similar solutions, uh, but for the most part, your your main cloud provider will have a serverless offering. Uh, the the CNCF, uh, which is the cloud native, um, did a white paper, um, uh, and um, yeah, the cloud native computing foundation, sorry, uh, did a recently white uh, white paper, and they go through all the different offerings and the landscape, and they the that it goes from Tooling for services, tooling for serverless, uh, serverless providers, functions as a service technology. So they have a um, kind of a big um, diagram that shows all the companies and the technologies involved in this space. And and it's a uh, it's it's growing. So because there's everything, right? Monitoring, debugging, uh, logging, running the containers, the tools, the frameworks, um, language specific frameworks. Um, so they they try to do a white paper. I can send you a link, and you can maybe put it in the in the tweet or a blog post. Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes for sure. So um, when it comes to functions, and and you've mentioned this a little bit already, I just want to get some clarification on things. Um, do can they only be ran as like how do you execute these? I guess is what I'm trying to go for. How do you actually call these functions? Are they like functions that you would see in JavaScript or Java or C plus plus or um, are they, is that just a naming? So that makes sense? No, no, exactly. Exactly. It's a, it's a function. Um, you call it a function. But I mean, main, say, say I've got a client facing application. Um, yep. how would I typically use these functions? Oh, uh, if you have client, client API, let's say you have a, you have a single page app, yes. um, you will be calling an API. So you will get a URL. And then there's two ways. At least in OpenWIS, we have two ways uh, for that kind of workload: a a blocking call from a client side or a mobile phone. Uh, you will do a web action, so you get a, a public URL, and then you do a you do an HTTP request, a get, post, put, delete, uh, like a typical using your typical if you're talking about JavaScript, typical HTTP client. Um, and, um, and and I guess that I guess that API, um, and then inside your function, you return back what you want to return the body, two hundred, um, a typical backend. So that's how you would use it from from the client side. So are functions only are functions only effective for creating APIs? Are they like a, a replacement to say Spring Boot or or Express Framework or all of these other web frameworks that create APIs? Are they are they designed to be a replacement to these, or do they serve other purposes as well beyond just APIs? Oh, beyond like APIs, uh, I think is uh, one of the many uh, use cases. I, I think maybe it was the the last use case, um, at least in our, our in OpenWhisk that we brought in. Uh, but everything started with a, a, asynchronous events, event driven, meaning um, if a Couch TV or Cloudant uh, document change or get added. That will run your function. So there's no a public API or HTTP request. It's the system is listening to the database that you want to listen, and every every message that every document gets updated into the database, it will trigger um, an event and then run your function in IBM Cloud Functions. And that's a database. We also have something uh, uh, Kafka Message Hub. So as you send a lot of uh, messages, usually Message Hub is uh, intended for very small 
uh, byte-wise messages, but a lot of them uh, usually people use it for IoT. Uh, sure. That would trigger that would trigger your function. Uh, so there's no mobile phone calling your function. It's like async operations that you process that that data. Um, another one, periodic so alarms. So if you want to say every every day from Monday to Friday at 9 a.m., go ahead and send a Slack message. Um, uh, or go to GitHub and set, uh, get, get the pull requests are outstanding and send a Slack message with those. Um, then that's alarm alarm um, wise. So you have in OpenWiz we recently did some updates that now you can do. You can say every ninety minutes run this function, and it could be like go 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 get data and process that data, or you can say every um, at nine o five p.m. every Friday like Crown, you can run it, or just say at the on Christmas uh, at at noon uh, run my function so you can do a fire once. Sure. Um, so those those are not APIs. So those are just basic cloud native applications that run in the cloud. Uh, you don't pay for them. They're not running until they execute. So an event is the one uh, triggering that uh, event. Also, we have mobile push. So if uh, when somebody when you have a, a phone and you connect you subscribe to push notification. That will send an event uh, to your function, and then you can do something with that. Say, hey, welcome to, to my app. Thank you for enabling push notification. Um, webhooks, like GitHub, uh, that's the most typical one. GitHub is very popular for CICD. So when you push something to GitHub, like you, sh- you push your code, um, you want to trigger a CICD pipeline. Like in typical cases, it's like Jenkins and Travis, but in this case, you can run, uh, run your function that does something with that GitHub. Um, repo. I'm trying to think what other ones we have in our in IBM Cloud functions uh, that you can use. Uh, and then your own, you can create a, a, an endpoint that is just a webhook, an API, and you call it. Um, but that's kind of similar as the API gateway or uh, REST API that you, uh, scenario that we talk about using web actions. So that that covers. It's, it's a lot. Yeah, to those, cover, so I don't know. No, those those were, those were good or, examples. Or no, call. I just I, the whole goal that I was after was I wanted to see what kind of use cases there were. Um, and no, you did a very good job, uh, elaborating on a diverse set. Um, you brought up the subject of databases, so I'm kind of glad you did. Um, I, I want to touch up on this a little bit. So if you're working with these stateless functions, um, and some of them may remain running or they may go into the pause state, but how, what, what's best practice when working with a database with, uh, with, with functions or actions, because, Connecting to a database repetitively is kind of an expensive task, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So you're talking about not um, listening of a database changes. Is uh, you're talking about uh, the typical three tier where um, application server to connect to a database? Correct. Yeah. So um, there's. Uh, I've been recently uh, looking into that. Um, uh, and and the scenario that I did recently was with DB2. Uh, we have a DB2 on cloud. Um, I think it used to be called DashDB. So uh, from Node.js, um, they have an NPM package, and you can use DB2 to connect to that database. The, the thing is, as you have load into that um, uh, your containers, you can save that connection. So we're, we're telling you that there's no state, but there's like state caching. So if, when you open that connection and you, uh, you have a lot of load, you never you never pause the the container, but if you pause the container and then run it again, that state uh, that information about that connection and the sockets will still be there 
and then you don't have a delay or anything. So the first call would take you, I don't know, uh, one second to connect to DB2. The, the subsequent calls would take you like three milliseconds to connect because you're saving that into a, um, I just want to map that to a language. Like for example, Node.js, you will save that into a, the global, to a global variable outside your function that then you can check um, if, that, if that global variable connection is, is, on, is not undefined then it means that somebody was here and created the connection. So go ahead and reuse it. Um, the connection don't create it again. And that applies for also for S3 um, or, or in our case, cloud object storage, S3 APIs, databases. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but there's, there's kind of state on Python. I play with Python also. Did, uh, I keep that. So Python, the, the languages that we natively run uh, that we can pass the state, um, then, then you get that. That connection. We also support containers out of the box, like you can have a Perl script or a, a Go language. Um, but we can talk about that when we get into languages. Uh, which one you would not, you cannot save that state. Um, but that does that make sense? Then it does uh, because I think this is a question. Yeah. This is a question that probably a lot of people ask because if you were to have your your function receive maybe a, a thousand hits per second. Um, I'm not sure of any database that can handle that those many that many connections because usually you're doing what a singleton connection to your database, right? Or or very few connections. So it's uh, I think it's something that a lot of people would be interested to know that uh, you you can cache this database connection to limit um, how it's connected to, right? Yeah, for a certain amount of time, also depends on the server server side of that database uh, how long you want to keep that keep alive or the socket open. Um, and they're rate limiting, right? Um, yeah. In our case, IBM Cloud, uh, IBM Cloud functions. I, I, I did a, the demo with DB2, and, and on, it can take a lot of connections. I have, <laughs> have to work, work very hard to ma- manage it. But as a best practice, it's good to always like, be performant, right, and not not waste connections if you can reuse them. Um, so you can you can do that. Oh yeah, especially for a database, uh, it's not uh, it, they don't accept an infinite number of connections. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, so uh, for no for NoSQL, all the type of databases like NoSQL, like Cloudant or CouchDB, which also we offer. Um, actually, OpenWIS is based on uh, the data main database Cloudant and uh, CouchDB. We we do a lot of work with that, and a lot of examples is NoSQL. So the API is RESTful, um, and that's usually also a lot of people use that database as the database in serverless because uh, it's cloud native, it's RESTful. Uh, but at the same time, you can save, like, keep alive HTTP. And all, the, all, all these things, um, the developers don't have to worry about it because there's good NPM packages, um, Java libraries, Python libraries that handle all this caching, the throttling, the retries. Um, so I've been um, in this. I've, I spent my time um, in mobile and front end for a while. I was uh, in Apache Cordova. But recently, in the last two years, I've been also as I build this backend serverless, also learning as a developer coming from the front end, learning all the things, how these things work, actually work on the back end. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I hear you. I came from a similar background myself. Uh, so when it comes to development, you, you name dropped a few technologies. You, you name dropped Node and, and Go. What are, what are some of the technologies that you can use? Let's just use OpenWhisk as an example, since you're, you're most familiar with it, um, to develop these functions. Uh, yeah, so um, I'm a big fan of VS Code. I have to admit it. <laughs> um, so that's my that's my editor of choice um, when it comes to developing, let's say, Node Node.js functions. Um, 
there's a there's a good blog post that somebody did uh, recently that I, I like what they did. They configured VS Code to do debugging, so you can actually do debugging on these um, uh, JavaScript functions. So you can have different levels of debugging, and that's actually the area where I I spend uh, most of my time is user experience and tooling, where you have a function or a JavaScript function in your in your computer, but it's going to run in the cloud. So how how do you build confident uh, confidence? that this function actually is bug-free, right? And how do you start developing it? So you can have different levels. You can run your function as a regular node space, myfunction.js, and it will run your function. But that will be running in your computer with the version of node that you have in your computer. Uh, maybe you have some NPM packages that are not available in the in the cloud. And the next level, what I call is, uh, I would say level two is container-based. So you can have a, um, with the recent release of Docker for Mac, um, and Docker for Windows, it's very easy to get Docker in your computer. So you can have, um, for example, VS Code or your IDE or maybe a little script that um, you can run your function inside the, the Docker container image. And in OpenWhisk, um, these images are available from Docker Hub. So you can Docker pull them. Um, and we have some tools in OpenWhisk that help the developer to get that. So it would there's a script that would do a Docker run run your function as if we were running in the cloud, and then run your function inside that Docker container, but exposing the debug port. And then you can do a like a breakpoint in your ID, like in this case, VS Code. I have a breakpoint on your Node.js function inside the container. And then you can see like, oh, I didn't install an NPM package, or I didn't include the NPM package in my zip file. Or um, I have a bug um, that it works outside the container, but um, inside the container I have X number of um, space or number of files open and res some restrictions that you have in the cloud. So I call that level two, and it's very nice. You can do it in Java or Node.js. Um, uh, I'm more familiar with, with Node.js, so that's usually the one that I explain, but the other ones have their IDEs, like Java has their uh, IDE port and JVM settings that so you can do a breakpoint. Um, and then when you feel comfortable, then you, you run something like, uh, we support the serverless framework or your own custom script or an NPM script that would package uh, that into a zip file. If you have NPM dependencies, usually in IBM Cloud, we have a lot of NPM packages already pre-installed. Uh, but if you need like one or two NPM modules, you can um, uh, bundle it with a Webpack or just, just a zip file and then upload that to the cloud. And then you can, with the CLI, we use the CLI or, or we have a UI in IBM Cloud, you execute your function and then you can see the results. So it's it's a it's a uh, a process that you start very very uh, low, uh, very easy uh, to get started. And then as you get more into more depth into your function, then you can you can get the different levels of debugging. What I call so I don't know about that's kind of that paints a picture of how you develop these these functions um, for 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 serverless. That's that's one way. There there, there might be other ways. That other people are using, and and that's the that's the thing that I think we are right now. A lot of people are creating their own workflows and sharing that online, sharing that on GitHub. So everybody has uh, small scripts or a little utility or VS Code extensions uh, or an IDE um, tool to help people like build these these things and also uh, taking stuff uh, that is already there for Node.js development and just applying it. So you, you you brought up a few points here and that stirred up more questions with me, but uh, before I jump into those, so is are you only able to develop functions with Node.js, or are you able to develop functions with another programming technology? 
Oh no, um, I, I uh, Node.js is um, covers a lot of developers. That's why I, I try to explain it with that one. But um, out of the box, we uh, navigate cloud functions. You can go to the UR, the CLI, and start with a with a single file. Uh, it could be a Swift. Um, it's the language typically used in iOS, but it could be Swift in the back end, uh, Java, uh, Node.js, um, Python. Um, and those are the native, native languages that we support out of the box that um, you can have a single source file or even an editor that we have in the, in the, in the browser and the UI and the functions. Um, and then would you have the other ones um, that uh, we use, we call them native or kind of Docker, Docker actions where you can have a, a Docker action, you specify not a file, but a Docker image, and then we'll run that. Or you specify an executable, a script, or a zip file that has some uh, executable code inside. And, and it takes, uh, you can just write it, like for example, you take a bash script or a Perl script or a Go, uh, Golang and compile a binary, and then it will, it will pass the parameters as standard input, um, and then you print uh, standard output as the JSON that you want to send out. And actually, this week we're discussing of, of improving that experience. But regardless, you can do all the languages. Oh, I forgot PHP. I should, I should uh, read the list. Um, so if you um, we log in, I'd, I'd PHP. Make, I'd make a joke I'd, about PHP, but I think uh, a lot of people would hate me about it. <laughs> uh, PHP was a contribution from open source. Um, there's a, a person that um, was doing Swift development, also was um, a, 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 a community well-known in the PHP community. And he just started playing with serverless and he's, he liked it. And he created a, a runtime uh, in open source for PHP um, and contributed that. And uh, we saw it and we saw that it was a good thing. It's like, why not? We support containers. Why not support PHP? So we just added PHP um, as a supported language um, out of the box. Like when I say supported language, it's like, Rust is another one. So I'm I'm also working on a on a uh, improving the documentation to show you like uh, real examples that you can copy paste and start going with Rust, Go, Language, uh, Perl, Bash, anything that you and anything that you want. Um, Docker containers um, is something that you can push to Docker Hub and then give us the Docker yeah. image and then we'll pull it in, cache it. Um, but then once it's cached, it's, it's as fast as the other ones. Um, so there's no problem with that. I don't know about all the language that you have in mind. Um, no, no, no. I just wanted to, to see what, what languages were supported. Or, yeah. But that's that's, yeah, that's Go, great. Golang is the last one that uh, was very popular. Uh, somebody in the Apache... Also, I'm trying to mix things. So in, in Apache Open Source, uh, there's a mini list. And there's someone just um, wanted to contribute a more better uh, Golang support. And... Um, and and that person is is working on that. Um, but we support it today through um, compiling the Go language, adding the executable, and then with the CLI it's very simple, and then you upload it. Oh yeah, no, I I definitely love Go. Um, that's the language I've been using a lot of lately. Um, earlier you mentioned serverless framework. So if I if I do a Google search for serverless, serverless framework is probably the first thing that comes up. Can you tell me a little bit about that and how it fits into uh, developing functions? Uh, yeah, it's a it's a popular uh, framework. They even have a popular um, conference. Uh, they started in the U.S. Um, and now in, in Europe. So they are a open source uh, uh, project in GitHub. Um, it's a framework to help you. 
it's a, it's um, based on npm. So you npm install serverless, and you have a now a command line utility with npm that would uh, help you kind of package these functions with specifics um, to the cloud platform that you want to deploy. So, for example, we have support for IBM Cloud functions through the OpenWIST plugin. So if you install npm install uh, minus g serverless and then open with serverless um, you will get the plugin for OpenWhisk, and then you can develop um, your functions with serverless framework um, write your function write the metadata file in a json file and then run, run one command that will run your function locally and then run another command that will deploy it to the cloud and then you don't have to uh, maybe maybe you have a um, some projects are in, in another platform um, and some projects that you maybe have in IBM Cloud, you can do both and then deal with one framework. So it, it kind of harmonizes that. So um, yeah, they're good guys, and they they have a GitHub uh, organization. They added us. Uh, we did the plugin, some of the community, um, and they. Uh, so a lot of people when they search for serverless, they they got they get the the hit. So it's it's also a, a supported um, um, framework or tooling. Um, there might be others, but that's that's one that a lot of people use. So if I was just getting started, so if, if I had no knowledge of of serverless before this podcast, if I wanted to get started, would you recommend that I used serverless framework, or do you recommend I get started another way? Uh, it it depends. Uh, how much knowledge do you know? Uh, how what type of developer you are, right? Some developers are like, I, I don't want to learn or deal with this or try. I just want to build something. Um, but if if it's the first one, like you just like I don't, I just have five minutes, uh, <laughs> right? I just want to say like if I can do a hello world in five minutes, just logging into the IBM Cloud functions. You say it's a free account. It has a it has a UI and say create actions, select one of the languages, and it will give you a hello world. Click a button, and it will say invoke, and it will run. That way you say like, huh, I got something working that that easy, and it's like it has a text editor and. I can edit a few a few lines and get something like just try it out uh, to see if if you pass that point of like this feels like magic is it magic and then um, I, I would say it depends on your workflow use the CLI to write some code locally debug it and upload it we have a CLI for IBM Cloud or uh, serverless framework is another uh, great choice uh, um, yeah I would say yeah those those two. So in serverless framework, just npm install serverless framework, uh, open whisk, it's the plugin. They, they have good documentation and do the hello world. So I think regardless, do a hello world is the answer. Maybe I got it wrong. <laughs> sure. So, but, but to sum it all up, you're saying that uh, either way, uh, re- regardless on if you use serverless framework, it's a good way to get started, right? Yeah. Perfect. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking at the latest documentation for Sarah's um, framework to see if they still, uh, yeah, they're accurate. It's just a hello world. You create a serverless deploy, um, serverless deploy, serverless invoke. It's like three commands. And then, um, so that's that's what the, these frameworks are doing, like making it very simple, like one or two commands um, to wrap it up and then deploy it. But uh, IBM Cloud Functions is based on OpenWhisk, and uh, some of the feedback we're getting is uh, OpenWhisk is one of the easiest ones to get started, uh, either to the CLI or IBM Cloud Functions, um, and with uh, the configuration of the platform, how to log in, how to compile, uh, um, and then how to build a SIP and deploy it. Um, 
So re- regardless, um, I would say, and even 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 regardless of the platform and the cloud or, or the cloud provider, uh, just give it a try to serverless. Just try to write a, a small function in a little file, upload it to the cloud, and and then you have you have some some URL that is that you can hit either from your Raspberry Pi, your website, or your mobile app. And you, if you're a front-end developer um, or a person doing uh, IoT with Raspberry Pi, you will feel like, uh, like, like you cannot believe it, you, you, because you thought that doing backend it was so difficult to set up servers and having infrastructure and how do I scale it to if I want to grow it, and you don't have to worry that anymore. Yeah, it sounds great. So we're almost out of time here. So I want to give you a chance to give us any kind of last minute advice, words of wisdom. Maybe you've seen somebody do something interesting or maybe the wrong way and you want to uh, point that out and correct it on this episode. Anything you want to say? Um, let me see. Um, yeah, I think that the last the last point of um, I think there's a lot of people that have heard um, of serverless or um, somebody have told him, told them, uh, maybe this is the first time they heard, heard the word serverless. I would say, give it, give it a try because, um, is, is something that is very hot right now. Uh, a lot of companies are actually hiring folks. So if you have skills, you will be a better fit to get, maybe you're looking for a job or a change in career. Um, also there might be a, a um, some problems in your group or team that, you need to build a, a backend API or the server part of, the, of a mobile app, and you guys are trying to hire someone, or maybe you're, you guys don't ha- know how to get started, uh, I think serverless will be a good choice to, to look at on how to, how to do that, um, because it's very simple uh, to get started, but then also very simple to do ops, which is no ops. So that's my advice. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Well, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on this podcast episode. As things with serverless progress, I think I definitely want to have you back to share any kind of updates. Sure, I'll be glad to to be back, and then we can we can do the next level of uh, building something or or go deep into a certain scenario. Yeah, no, sounds great. Thanks, Carlos. Okay, bye, Nick. I hope you found this episode of the Polyglot Developer Podcast on the topic of functions as a service and serverless useful. It would mean a lot to me if you went into iTunes or wherever you downloaded this episode from and left it a five-star rating and review. Until next time, that concludes episode number 17.